That's good news, isn't it? I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. As you're turning there, I'll give you a brief update on Emma. Perhaps many of you are already aware that Emma was admitted to the hospital last Sunday night with, uh, with an infection. And so she has been undergoing several uh, antibiotic treatments. And my understanding is she's recovering, recovering well, um, is more alert, is responding more. And they are hopeful that, that she'll get to go home perhaps as early as tomorrow. So continue to pray for Emma and for our pastor and his family. And thank the Lord for his kindness. John chapter 8. Well, I rolled my eyes when I came across a recent article about a, a new trend called sightless restaurants. Sightless restaurants. Following a trend in Europe, observers are noticing that now in New York City, these sightless restaurants are opening up. In a sightless restaurant, uh, patrons <clears throat> pay money to eat their dinner in total darkness. Suppose this, I don't know what this does, but apparently it enhances the flavor or maybe it makes bad food taste good. I don't, I don't know, whatever the experience is. We're look, you know, apparently looking for, for new experiences. And so the dining experience begins when patrons come to the, uh, come to the restaurant and are seated by placing their hands on the, the shoulder of the waiter who guides them to their table in pitch darkness. I mean, you cannot see your hand in, in front of your face. As you might expect, these uh, restaurants have discovered it's helpful to hire blind waiters because they are skilled at navigating through the darkness. I read a review of a food critic who, uh, who tried to describe her experience uh, at one of these sightless restaurants, and she admitted that though she was trying to have a good time, but she found it to be quite unnerving. While trying to eat, she experienced such overwhelming panic, feelings of panic that she asked the waiter to lead her to the bathroom where she could enjoy the light of a single candle. Uh, she, was a, she was overwhelmed by the darkness, right? I think we could sympathize with her. Because we as humans, all of us, Understand that even from a young age, life is meant to be experienced in light, not in darkness. Children must overcome their fear of the darkness, not their fear of light. We are attracted to light. We are even dependent upon light. If you think about it, it's, it's only sinister creatures such as Bats and sea monsters or orcs or dead pirates of the Caribbean who prefer to dwell in darkness. Orcs and sinners. Last Sunday, Pastor Mark preached from John chapter 8 where we heard these famous words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And you can see these, if you have your Bible open to, in John chapter 8, you can see these words for yourself down there in verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Last week, we spent a lot of our time thinking about how since Jesus came from the Father, he came from God, and he came bearing witness about God, we can know what God is like. We have light. We have access. If you know Jesus, you can know the Father. If you see Jesus, you can see the Father. And in this way, Jesus is the light of the world. But this morning, I would like to circle back there to verse 12 and draw your attention to the second half of Jesus' statement. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I'd like to ask the question this morning, what does it mean to walk in darkness? What does it mean to walk in darkness? And the way we're going to answer that question is we're going to look at how darkness unfolds throughout the entire Bible. We're going to see it as a theme unfolding across all of the Scriptures. If you've read the Bible much, and perhaps many of you have, you probably know that light and darkness are a major theme, Uh, and they they really go together, a major theme throughout the Bible. There are literally hundreds of references, and almost all of them refer to some sort of spiritual reality. They have spiritual significance. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to build what we could call a biblical theology of darkness. And hopefully, this will give us a better sense of what it means what this darkness is and why it is that we don't want to walk in it and why it is that we should move towards light. And then we will consider with joy how it is that Jesus overcomes this darkness with the light of life. In the Bible, darkness is always bad. It is always uh, with negative overtones and with bad connotations. And it's often, it's really best to be understood with its counterpart, light. Darkness and light go together. And as we think about this theme of light and dark, it's going to be helpful to think, to have a couple things in mind. First of all, by way of introduction, you'll notice that darkness is an absence of light. Have you ever thought of that? It's an absence of light. The Bible says that God created darkness, but there's really a sense in which Darkness isn't really a thing in and of itself. It's the absence of something. It is the absence of light, right? For example, there is, there's no measurement for darkness. There's only a measurement for light or how little light there is, which means that there's always a relationship between light and darkness. A second thing to keep in mind, and this is fun, is that light always beats out darkness. Light always beats out darkness. By its very nature, God has designed light in such a way that light always wins. Right? There's no amount of darkness that you can place on light that that, uh, puffs out the light. Light always wins. No matter how much darkness you have, it cannot overcome even a single flicker of light. You cannot turn up the darkness, only turn down the light. And so I would encourage you, 
As we're going through this, keep an eye out for how it is that God overcomes darkness, how he works to defeat darkness. The story of the Bible, which, as you may know, is really, it's the story of the world, and it begins in darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first two verses of the Bible, we read, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness is associated with chaos and shapelessness. And what is the very first thing that God does when he sees darkness? He conquers it. The very first words of God recorded in the Bible show God conquering darkness. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Because when God says something, that happens. He conquered darkness. And this brings us to the first of several ways that darkness appears in the Bible. This is how we'll begin our our study this morning, is to think about different ways darkness is used in the Bible. The first is that darkness is used to describe the conflict of the world, this cosmic conflict. All throughout human history, even pagan cultures have understood that there seems to be a tension between light and darkness. Uh, That is significant. One that, that even represents control or a struggle for control over the world. I think this is a biblical notion. The Bible talks like this. From the very second verse, as we saw, we see that God, the God of light, is stronger than darkness. The creation account actually draws attention to this. God spends time and effort taming darkness, conquering darkness. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. After God created light, he said that light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God goes on by his good creation to create boundaries, to set up a boundary between the day and a boundary between the night. He does other boundaries, boundaries between water and land, which if we had more time, we might even make a connection to the moon and to the night, even there. But the point is that the whole created order, the whole cosmos is ordered by a God who sets boundaries. He makes distinctions and we depend upon those boundaries. If you think about it, when God brings judgment, so often in the Bible, that judgment comes from him releasing the boundaries. Think about the flood. God de-separated the water and the land. Or think about the way God brought plagues upon Egypt. Plague of darkness. This is how God often brings judgment. Sometimes in the Bible, as we'll see later, judgment is described as God blotting out the sun or turning the moon to blood with figurative language. Another cool way to think about this is to think about how it is the sun and the moon and the stars were created. Perhaps you noticed that it was on the first day that God created light, but then it was on the fourth day that God created the sun and the stars. Just think about that. What does that tell us? Light doesn't come from the sun. 
Light doesn't come from the stars. Light isn't primarily reflected by the moon. All light finds its origin in God. All of it. Light is connected to God. He is the ultimate. He is the primary. He is the only true source of light. All other light is reflected. It's borrowed. All light belongs to God. Just think as humans, how dependent are we upon light? I mean, human life itself is totally dependent on light. Without light, no human life, in fact, no life at all would exist because we're dependent upon oxygen. We won't do the science lesson, but of course, you know, God in his brilliance created plants that eat light. There's also bugs that eat light. Okay, Darwin, whatever, right? There's bugs that eat light, there's plants that eat light, and this light turns into oxygen by God's design, and we are dependent upon it. All light and all life originates in God. When Paul spoke to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, he was quite literally speaking the truth when he said, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. This might help us understand why it is that Satan, when he tries to compete with God, steals from God. All right? Satan is a counterfeiter. That's what he does. He doesn't have any of his own ideas or any of his own good things. He has to steal from God, change them and twist them, and then offer them as a bad thing. Have you ever thought of that? This is why he masquerades as an angel of light. Perhaps this is even why we see all throughout history, we see pagan cultures worshiping the sun. They're drawn to these counterfeits. And this sets the stage for the Bible-long struggle between light and darkness, between God and Satan, between good and evil. But of course, the Bible talks about darkness in a second way, and that's just physical darkness. Physical darkness is, plays a major role in the Bible. Nighttime in the Bible, is a time, it's a time when human activity, it ceases. It comes to a halt, which is why nighttime or going to sleep is really closely associated with death, when human activity ends. I was surprised to learn as I was thinking about this, how much darkness is a major theme in the book of Job book of suffering and, and death. And from it and throughout the Bible, we learn that darkness is considered to be dangerous. Perhaps children have good reason to be afraid of the dark. The Bible says that darkness is when wild animals creep about. Darkness is associated with one having to grope his way through a dangerous place, desperately trying to find his way. One example is in Job. Job said that he has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness upon my paths. It's because of darkness that Job can't even find his way down a path. Even if he wanted to because it is blocked by darkness. The darkness is dangerous. Both Abraham and Job spoke of experiences where they encountered the terrors of deep darkness. 
The Bible tells us that burglaries happen at night. Ambushes most often happen at night. Darkness is also used by sinners to hide, to conceal their sin and their shame. The adulterous woman of Proverbs 7 waits until twilight to begin her ancient craft. Saul, when he went to visit the witch of Endor, went at night. Even Nicodemus, ashamed, snuck off to see Jesus at night. Judas betrayed our Lord with a kiss at night. Physical darkness is associated with sin and shame and guilt. Those who get drunk get drunk at night, the scriptures say, because of its shame. Physical darkness is closely associated with this, which is why sinners hate the light. It shines into our lives and exposes where we are wrong. But a lot of the Bible's usage of darkness is, really fits in this broad category of, of a metaphor or uh, to, to describe a variety of spiritual realities. There's lots of figurative uses. Darkness is used to describe ignorance. In Psalm chapter 82, the wicked have neither knowledge nor understanding, and they walk about in darkness. Darkness characterizes the foolish. Ecclesiastes 2 says the wise person has eyes or light in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. When God's people, when God's people Israel were living in a time of prophetic silence without a word from God, that was described as darkness. In fact, without God's revelation, without God's speaking, without God's truth, all humanity lives in, dark, in darkness. In 2 Peter, Peter describes God's word uh, just like the Old Testament writers did. God's word is like a lamp that shines into a dark place. He says that it is like the dawning of the day or a morning star rising in our hearts. Those who don't live according to God's word, the Bible says live in darkness. If you're here today and you do not follow God's word, you are living now even in darkness. 1 John 2 says, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We could go on and on. But if we were to summarize this, we could see that darkness is for the ignorant. It's for the foolish. It is for the wandering, those who are groping. Darkness is for the hateful. It is for the lost. In short, darkness is the opposite of everything that is good. It's the opposite of everything that light represents. So it makes sense that death is associated with darkness. That darkness and the grave go hand in hand, just like all human activity ceases at night, how much more so does all human activity cease in the grave? The psalmist laments of this when he felt like he was facing death. In Psalm chapter 88, he, he laments, are your wonders known in the darkness? 
or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Just like the grave, darkness is associated with dungeons and prisons and chains. Psalm 107.10, this is one example, speaks of those who sat in darkness and, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Friends, whether it is a metaphorical prison or whether it is a literal prison, the Bible consistently uses the language of prisoners who are chained and who are sitting in darkness. To be in darkness is to be chained there. The Bible also associates darkness with judgment. When God goes to pour out his wrath on sinners, he does it in darkness. He brought darkness upon the Egyptians as a plague. Through the prophet Amos, he spoke of judgment as darkness, saying, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. When Jesus spoke of the great tribulation, he said, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. And do you remember what is it that happened? When God poured out his wrath on Jesus, what happened? And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Revelation tells us that one day the kingdom of the beast and all who follow, all who are members of that kingdom, will be cast out. They will be plunged into darkness. And of course, Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness, a place of fire, but there's no light, only darkness. Darkness is also a spiritual reality in the Bible. Are you beginning to see how weighty this is? As we put together all these different images, as we work to build a composite picture of darkness, we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus uses darkness to describe a spiritual reality. And as we'll see soon, Jesus uses darkness to describe his reason. It is his reason for coming into the world to be a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. Have you ever wondered, what is his deal with blind people? Jesus is always reversing darkness. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Of course, the work of Jesus was not primarily to literally emancipate prisoners in chains and in jail cells. Christians are constantly in jail. Just ask John, of whom Jesus said, no man has ever been born of a woman that is greater than John. John died in prison while Jesus was alive. His purpose was not literally primarily to free people from physical chains. He came for spiritual prisoners, for the spiritually blind. This is why Peter describes salvation by saying that he has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. This is the work of God. Yet because of sin, all humanity dwells in darkness. 
There are more than 300 references to this. So you can imagine it was hard to choose. The Bible shows we are spiritually foolish. We are spiritually blind. We are spiritually dead. We are stumbling, groping our way through light without life. And Jesus said that explicitly, whoever does not believe in me, he remains in darkness. This is where you are, if not united to Christ. In the New Testament, people are described according to how they live, and they fall into one of two categories. They are either children of the light, or they are children of darkness. And we could go on and on and on. But there's one more type of darkness that we must remember. And that is darkness as spiritual warfare. Darkness is a spiritual force. Jesus spoke of the power of darkness as a spiritual reality. It's a realm of satanic power, of real evil and activity. When Paul instructed Christians on how to live the Christian life, he was explicit. You don't battle against flesh and blood, but rather you are battling against the cosmic powers over what? This present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And does this not bring us back to where we began when we noted this relationship between dark and light really represents a a struggle for control over the universe? I mean, we are talking about God himself and his struggle with Satan himself. Struggle's not much of a word, though, is it? Because how much does light struggle against darkness? Satan is described as the prince of darkness. Like Tolkien's orcs, he hates the light and is opposed to everything associated with it. And friends, hear me say this today. Those who walk in his ways are, according to the book of Colossians, they are part of his domain of darkness. It is extremely likely that there are people among us who are a part of this dark domain because you love the things of this world. And so it makes sense to us that when the so-called light of the world hung dying upon a cross in what seemed to Satan and his followers to be the greatest triumph of evil, it makes sense that they celebrated with darkness for three hours. It seemed like evil had won. <coughs> Do you see why in the Bible there can never be a truce between light and darkness? Light and darkness, with all they represent, they can never live at peace with one another. The Bible says, for what what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What relationship, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There can't be any. So what have we seen so far? We've seen that in the same way that physical darkness is the absence of light, in the same way, spiritual darkness is the absence of every good thing that comes from God. It is the absence of love and truth and hope and direction and knowledge and joy. 
Some of you are here today and you're living in darkness. You've been living in darkness for a long time. You've been going through life without any sense of lasting purpose, no personal knowledge of God, no no true wisdom on how to live. You're desperately, you're groping for direction. There are some who are here today who are dead to the things of God. You You probably don't even want to be here. You've been groping your way through the darkness, trying to find your way, trying to find meaning, trying to find happiness, trying to find some sense of worth. And friend, unless you, in turn to, unless you turn to Christ, unless you turn to the source of light and life, you will stay dead until you're dead, and when you're dead, you'll be forever dead. Away from the light of life. Some of you are living in darkness because you love what is evil. Your eyes are so accustomed to the darkness that you gaze upon it constantly. And that's how you see the world. Your values are drawn from the prince of darkness. You love the same things he loves, and they're the values of your heart. Of course, you wouldn't call it that, right? Because they look good to you. But really, you, you just live for your pleasure, for yourself. You resent the thought of God telling you what to do. How dare he encroach over your plan for your life and your wisdom? Perhaps there are some here today, perhaps many of us, who are hiding in the darkness. Perhaps you even know this God of light, but you, like Adam, hide because you're ashamed. Ashamed of the sin you struggle with. Would you not be humiliated? If your worst habits were put up here on this screen, or if you, if people were to know your relationship history, or your internet history, or your sexual history, or your thoughts, we don't, we don't share our struggles, we don't confess our sin, what would people think of us? What if, I, what if who I really am came into the light? And so we hide. We keep people at arm's length so that no one can ever really know us. We prefer the dark. At least no one can judge us here because they can't see us. (coughs) I realize that there are some of us who are here today and you're living in the darkness of depression and sadness or of grief. There's so little joy Your circumstances and your emotions are so dark that you have been living without joy and purpose for a long time. You've experienced evils and difficulties that make you question if you want to live. What good is it? There's so much darkness. You're not happy, I mean, because what is there to be happy about? And your eyes, too, have in some ways grown accustomed to the darkness. Well, all this brings us to the moment that I have been waiting for all week. Because now, hopefully, with freshly primed ears, if you would permit me to declare to you again the words of Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And if we were to start adding to Jesus' words the further testimony of Scripture, we would hear this, that God is light. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. <clears throat> Just as light is the opposite of darkness, so God is the polar opposite of everything that is dark. Every single element of darkness that we've covered this morning, we could walk through and see how Jesus overcomes it. Every one of it. Even death. Even night. He overcomes them all. At the beginning of John's gospel, we read, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How could it, right? Jesus is called, or James calls God the Father, he calls him the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There is not even a shadow to be found, not even a shadow of darkness in God. The God of light has and will overcome the devil. When Jesus rose from the grave, he rose in the morning as the sun dawned. And the light of Christ has sent the prince of darkness shrieking back to the shadows where he makes his dwelling with the other monsters of darkness while they await their final defeat. As Jude said, it is for them that the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Satan and his angels and all humans who follow him will be cast into utter darkness away from the presence of the Lord. Friends, I'm here to you, I'm here today to proclaim that God is the source of light and God is the source of life. He is the source of lasting joy and happiness. He can drive out all the shadows of depression. He can heal the darkness of grief and mourning, and he has overcome the darkness of sin. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, he has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light so that we can proclaim the excellencies of his beauty. Colossians says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is the light of the world. And it is through his work that he has overcome every dimension of darkness. And today he extends an invitation to every single one of you. Come out of darkness. It doesn't matter who is here today. All of us need to hear this invitation. Whether you're a follower of Christ or you're skeptical or even hostile. If you're here today and you do not follow Christ, and you're walking in darkness. And I issue you an invitation from the scriptures. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine upon you. Turn to Jesus by faith and live. You can go to him in your sin. Go to him confessing that you need him. He will not turn you away. He is gracious and merciful. And for those of you who are here today who follow Christ, those of you who, who indeed are children of light, may I also issue this invitation to you? At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, friends. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Shine light into them. We said this morning that the Bible, the story of the world, begins with darkness. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But that's not how the Bible ends. In Revelation chapter 21, the very end of the Bible, we read this. And that city, that New Jerusalem, that future city, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. My friends, light wins. God wins. Light will always beat the darkness. So why would you remain in darkness this morning? Would you come? No matter where you are and who you are and what is going on, would you come and behold the glory of God in Christ. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we move into a time of invitation. We recognize that God's word always requires a response. You'll respond to God's word either by ignoring it or by acting upon it. 